you know what to do, just tell them how to win. On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Four Stars Podcast. We're adding on to our Coxon series today. Uh, we've had Wilson Glass, Connor Neal, Ethan DeBorgia, Sammy Hudegi, Bennett Rossell. I mean, the list goes on. But today, I wanted to get a female Coxon on here. We have Reed Joe from Chicago Rowing, but, you know, independently, we have Dana Shear. She is a Coxon from, from uh, actually, over the summer, Row America Rye. And she's going to be going to USC, fight on the Trojans uh, for the class of 2026. Joining Bella Corellis, who was on the podcast a couple couple weeks back. So super excited to have Dana on here today and her share her knowledge about what it takes to be in the ninth seat over in the East Coast and and you know her transition from going from east to west. So Dana, thank you for hopping on the podcast. Thank you for for taking the time to speak with me. It's uh it's honestly awesome. So thanks. So much for having me. I'm super excited to chat about rowing. What's better than chatting about rowing? Maybe Skittles? I don't know, but that's my that's my favorite. Our Skittles. Maybe chatting about coxing that that could be a little uh, better. That, that that does top it off a hundred percent. So I mean that that is a lot better. I guess you know the big thing is uh, here today. Um, when you meet somebody, right, and you're saying, you know, nice to meet you. What's your narrative like? Tell me about you. Yeah, of course. So again, my name is Dana Shear. I've been coxing for four years. I started off at Pelham Community Rowing Association for all four years of high school. And then I switched to Row America Ride this summer before I leave for college. And so I actually started off my freshman year of high school as a rower. And then the freshman or the summer between freshman and sophomore years when I switched to coxing. And I've been coxing the top varsity crews ever since. And then every now and then I do hop in the single. I race the single at club nationals. Um, New York States, couple smaller regattas here and then. So I do love to row, but coxing is where I am at the moment now. Rowing a single is a different story, but then when you're hopping in that coxing seat, it's a whole different environment. And uh, the vibe is, in my opinion, much better. But, you know, I had a couple of questions that you sent me. And I think some of the things that you mentioned are actually amazing uh, and great things to talk about. Walk me through like what, some of like, the top five lessons that you were taught in high school that really stand true to who you are. Okay, so I'm going to focus on one lesson that my my coach has really taught me first to kind of like express that a little bit. Okay. So my my high school rowing coaches, Coach Greg and Coach Rachel, they came to Pelham from TBC and the National Cathedral School in Washington, D.C. And those two have got a rowing resume that could literally go on for pages. IRA wins, Charles wins, Canadian Henley, Club National, Stotesbury, SRAs, et cetera. You name it, they've got it. They're a freaking powerhouse couple. Uh, and, you know, they taught us a lot. They taught us a lot of lessons. But I think the one that really stuck with me the most is that gratitude wins the long game. They probably would say this to us at least once once a week. And they really drilled into our head how lucky we are to, you know, casually sit in a piece of $60,000 equipment after school. And that's just an opportunity that most kids and most teenagers our age will never, never really get to have. Um, and I remember at Youth Nationals this year, like to make the A final was the only option. That was the absolute bare minimum. We had no plan B. That was simply what we had to do. And I remember before the semifinal, I wrote on my hand, this boat, these oars, this set of people, which was our lineup, Claire, Calissa, Maya, Lindsay, um, 
Greg and Rachel, which are our coaches and everything. And I remember going down that course and I made a call, something along the lines of we're doing this. We are making that a final for these people, et cetera, everything I just listed. And even just to say that call was a really, really special feeling because that was the second step after the time trial to winning the said long game. And yes, we ended up at, at six um, in the final. We came up a little bit short, whatever, but if we didn't have those feelings of gratitude, there's no way we would have made it that far. And we went through a lot, you know, th throughout that year to get in um, to that moment day in and day out. And that was really the culmination of the said, the said long game for us. What you said was just, you know, definitely a, a lot about who you are as a care, you know, as a, an individual, you, uh, you wanted to win, not just for yourself, but for the people behind you. And yeah. I think that that sets you apart from a lot of people because a lot of people want it just for themselves. But as coxswains, you can't really, it's not how, you know, life kind of goes. You know, you mm -hmm. have people behind you, people in front of you to really push you um, to get to the top of where you want to be. Um, and I think that that's definitely a a really interesting characteristic about this sport we call rowing. So well stated. Um, and then the next thing I guess, you know, we should really talk about is just how did you guys set yourself apart over the last year from like your other competitors, because you guys were part of a small boat club. Uh, mm -hmm. Wise, I was the same thing. Um, a lot of the things that we talked about in our phone call were very similar. And I can pretty much echo a lot of what you had to say. I spent time coxing the men and the women because we just so happened to have a little bit more women on the team. The guys and the girls were all together. Like it wasn't like the guys have one coach, the girls have one coach. Like everyone had the same coach. Everyone went out in the water together, warmed up together. You know, I did the warm ups right before we got in the water. Like when I heard about your story, I was really intrigued because I went through the same thing. You know, coming from a small boat club, you don't really have a lot of resources. And like we didn't really have $60,000 boats. You know, a lot of our boats were like really old. And like I think back when the, the boys took out their the varsity quad to youth nats in 2021, when they hopped into, we actually had to like, we, we couldn't take the boat to Sarasota. So we had to, we had to use one. Uh, Vest Foley had like, I think, came down with Bodger boats. So we actually borrowed one of their boats for the race. It was super awesome. I wasn't there, but basically when they hopped in that boat, the split dropped 14 splits just by changing the boat. I mean, that's insane to me. Um, and I think that it shows a lot about how boat mechanics and, you know, newer boats can definitely, you know, help in certain things. But like, we were, we really struggled. Like we didn't really have any of the boats made in like the 1990s. Like it was a very old mm -hmm. boat, old, heavy, heavy, heavy Philippi. Um, and it just, so, you know, we've, we, we had to, you know, do a lot and do what we could with the, with what the resources that we had. Building off of those, a couple points you just made, same thing for us. We came from a super small team. And I think that's one of the things that was really special is we came from practically nothing and we were able to, you know, bring home a medal from head of the Charles and make an A final at youth nationals. And that was really the most special thing was building something from nothing. And then kind of that other thing, going back to that gratitude point, our coaches are super educated on, you know, boats and rigging and stuff. So that's another thing that we're, we were super happy and super relieved to kind of know that they were also kind of rigging the boat to make sure that we were really in the place that we needed to be to do what we wanted to do. And what did you want to do besides winning? Are there things that you wanted to conquer besides winning or is it just winning? <laughs> no, that, that, that was, that was. <laughs> It's not exactly what happened, but that, that is what we wanted. Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, yeah, definitely. There's so much to think about. Like, there's so much, like, different things that people would like to accomplish besides, like, you know, just winning the gold medal. Like, there's, like, yeah. you know, it's either, like, making this certain final or, or even just being able to compete in the race is, like, an honor in and of itself. I mean, in 2021, Youth Nats was, like, open entry. You kind of mm -hmm. everyone to kind of go if they wanted to go. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, some teams just got slaughtered in the time trials. I mean, it was just like, okay, I'm there for the day. I'll see you. Like what set my crew over the last year apart from our competitors. I think that 
every crew has one thing that will set them apart from another crew. It's different, you know, and every crew has their own special sauce, as my coach would call it, that really differentiates them from another boat. But for my crew, for my four over the last year, we always raced everything and we always rode everything super rationally and super intentionally. And we executed what we had to do. And, you know, that was it. There was no emotion. There was no mind games. It was just put the blade in and go. That was it. Um, but our special sauce was really emotion. That is what set us apart from every other crew and kind of put us at that next level and elevated us. Um, you know, for example, there's a couple races that could describe that could describe that like our states race or semifinal at youth nationals head of the Charles in in the fall this year where we literally poured every emotion into every single stroke and every single meter to go down the course and we ended up in the exact position that we needed to be you know before the Charles we talked about learning how to dream and to dream of what we wanted and how we were fully capable of accomplishing what we wanted and we ended up in fourth place seven seconds off of first and to have a Charles medal is something pe a lot of people dream of so you know that was pretty cool and then I think those other two races, states and, and nationals in the semifinal, it states that was the first time we ever discussed rowing with emotional intentions. We were a couple seconds behind where we wanted to be in the time trial. We discussed it with our coach. We discussed how important this race was for us as a team and what we wanted to do. And we launched for the final. We were up on the field by probably the 500 meter mark and we kind of we held that margin all the way through. So that was super special. And then the last one that really kind of solidifies that point was the semifinal this year at Youth Nationals. Before the semifinal, our coach wrote us a letter and he read it to us. I remember in the rain, we were sitting under another team's tent trying to keep dry um, before we launched. And essentially the entire boat was crying. We were completely in the zone, ready to accomplish our mission. And um, we got third in the semi, made the A final. We were ecstatic. Nobody cares about winning the semifinal. Like, nobody gets a medal for how they do in the time trial or the semifinal. All you have to do is qualify. And so you know, we hit the time trial, we hit step two, which was the semi, and we got another race. So it was, it was pretty awesome. With the resources that you have as a Cox in the small boat club, what do you try to do? Because I, I mentioned a little bit in my previous podcast, like, what are some of the things that you try to incorporate in your day-to-day, -day, like, activities while you're out the boathouse, or even after the outside of the boathouse? I think it's very important to kind of be a student of the sport and be super involved in every aspect. So I'm always at practice like 45 minutes early as, you know, um, kind of just getting in the zone, doing whatever I have to do to be prepared. I think preparation is definitely one of the most, most important key things to getting ready and being where you want to be. And then I also think having a super strong relationship with your coach is very important so that you can kind of be the bridge between the coach and the athlete and sort of relay what the coach is saying to the athletes on a more athlete centered level, if that makes sense. Cause you know, you are the same age as them. So you can kind of, kind of relay in that way um and then I think that just being a good teammate is super super important and that can be you know described in a lot of different ways but I think that how I would describe you know the most important way of being a good teammate is to be super dedicated because your teammates will notice when you are dedicated to the sport and it does not go unnoticed and if you think it does like that's wrong because if you are at the boathouse doing everything you need to do helping your coaches helping um, helping your athletes, having answers to their questions when they ask you, that's super special to them because they know that they can come to you when they, when they need something. And that kind of, you know, furthers the bond between the athlete and the coxswain. And then when you get in the boat, you're a little more united. So it kind of ends up that way. And then I think, you know, just furthering my personal, personal capabilities as a coxswain, again, you know, everybody says it, but you have to listen to your own recordings, you know, kind of, kind of see where you are and see what you're saying. And then, I also like to really, really 
own in on what my coaches are saying. When they're rigging boats, I'm asking questions. Why are you rigging it this way? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Why are you saying this? Why are you saying that? So I can really understand the intentions behind everything that they're doing. Because I know that they're committed to making us go faster. So I want to know the reasoning behind that as well. I think Mary Whipple even said, like, becoming a student of the sport is so mm -hmm. awesome. Like, you can learn so much. And I even spent... So when you act, this is, I have a couple questions in this regard. Mm -hmm. But your first, your first thing that you said was you actually were a rower in the, in the introduction to your you know rowing career and then transition to being a coxswain. How did that affect your coxswain abilities? Did that I mean, obviously it probably helped, but like, what were some of the things that you think prepared you well for the coxswain culture and that career? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I switched to being coxswain just because I was more petite. It just worked out better for me that way. That's why I kind of switched the role. I don't think that actually rowing that first year is what helped me in that way, becoming coxswain. But what I think is super helpful is the fact that I do get in the single every now and then while I'm still a coxswain. So I'm still maintaining the boat feel in two different aspects. I'm maintaining the boat feel as a coxswain, and then I'm also maintaining boat feel as a rower. Um, and I think kind of doing those simultaneously is, is super helpful because you can sit in the coxswain seat and learn what certain things feel like when other people are doing them, but you can also sit in the single and learn what things feel like when you're doing them. And then you know how to, you can kind of, you know, get those those skills to fix certain things and you know what to say and what to do, et cetera, et cetera. Right on. All right. I mean, that, that was like exactly what I was trying to like go, go for. Like my question was based on like the lessons that you learned from being a rower. Mm -hmm. How did they help you being a coxswain? Like that was it. And I mean, you're novice, you're rowing, you're just trying to learn the steps. You're trying to learn how it goes. You know, it's the beginning process yeah. of everything. So, I mean, there's a lot to learn. So of those, you know, types of months that you're there. Uh, but um, the other thing too I wanted to add is like when you transition from being going from um, you know your your home club and then going to Row America right over the summer, like was it a culture shock or are you like how'd you prepare yourself for that? Yeah, so there's a lot of reasons that um, made me switch clubs for the summer, which not they're not that important. But um, when I when I went to Row America, Rye, it was super different from what I was used to. I was used to a super small team, maybe roster size of 20 girls, 30 girls at max ever. So really small club. But when I went to Row America Ride, there's a roster size of like 60 kids. They've got like four or five coaches. They do everything super organized. It's super different than what I was used to. So I think that for the first two or three practices I got in the boat, probably didn't say a word um, the entire practice. I was kind of nervous out of my mind. And I think that was a good thing because you don't want to get in a boat and I didn't know what their technical focuses are. So I don't want to just start saying things that those girls have never heard before. They don't know what they mean. You know what I mean? So I kind of took those first couple of days to learn the course, learn where I was going, learn how they do things, et cetera. And then I remember one day I just got in the boat. I said, Dana, get over yourself and figure it out. So I've coxed the entire practice and I've, I loved it. I love the team. I love the culture. I love how they do things. Um, it's an awesome club. They've done a lot of cool stuff and um, I'm excited to see what they do in the future. It's great that you're being resourceful and and trying to get prepared for you know Cox and the Trojans next year. I mean, yeah. What were, what were some of the like the biggest factors as to why you chose them over any other school? Because I'm sure you've had other opportunities. I mean, you're a freaking superstar. So, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Well, I, I was ten. So my dad is from California. My family grew up in California. He's from Orange County. Um, oh, nice. I remember being ten years old and I said, "Dad, I'm moving to LA when I turn 18." So. That was obviously one part, but um, I wanted to row competitively. And besides rowing, if I don't become a rowing coach one day, who knows, maybe that'll happen. I hope to work in telecommunication, television production, entertainment, media, that kind of thing. 
So USC was kind of the perfect fit because it bridged my academic interest perfectly with what I wanted to do athletically. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, USC is obviously the hub for like anything you really want to accomplish in LA. It's like yeah. the center of LA. Uh, obviously, they're so competitors, UCLA, but uh, that's a different type of environment. Um, but mm-hmm. USC is definitely a great, a great team. And, uh, you know, they train over in Long Beach in the port of Los Angeles, which is really interesting because it's not like a typical site you'd see in, a, 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 you know, a rowing team training, mm-hmm. like a port. Like, it's like so different. But I think it really stands out. And I think that the culture of, of SC definitely is. I've always been a USC fan growing up. Like, I always go to football games. Like, I've always been a big, like, fan of them, like, growing up. And then, like, as I started to get older, like, I've always kind of wanted to go there. And then when I found out that SC didn't have a a men's team that was like a D1 team I was like oh dang you know I was thinking uh, right, right when I first started I was like oh I can go to USC I can live out my dream but no it didn't really happen so but the women's team has a great team and I think the coaches are awesome um and uh yeah the teams the team sounds like it's a lot of fun how was your official how'd your experience go then my official was awesome I went in September of last year I actually went when a lot of the team members had COVID unfortunately so I didn't get to see everything to kind of the fullest extent but I definitely had a great experience in it it was, it was pretty cool kind of like seeing seeing everything and how they do things out there. And I'm very excited to head out in about three weeks. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Oh, man. I mean, there's lots of th- fun things to do out here in, in L.A. I mean, there's I mean, when people come out here from like like other states, some mm-hmm. people feel like, oh, L.A., like it's so boring. It's like not like my type of style, but you have to go to the right place in L.A. You can't just mm-hmm. go like Santa Monica or whatever. You have to go like you have to branch out. So like, yeah. like I'm in Malibu, which is like on the, on the PCH. Um, so it's like, you know, a little more like, uh, North of LA, but I don't know. There's other thing, cool things to do besides just like, you know, yeah. LA. the small hole in the wall places, you know, that everybody doesn't know. Those are exactly. Those are really- exactly. How did you, how was your childhood like in, living in New York? Like, what was that like for you? So I live in the suburbs. It's, um, Westchester County is about 15 minutes outside Maybe that's wrong. But anyway, it's the county outside of New York City. Um, so my parents work in the city growing up. Um, so I'm very familiar with the city and that kind of stuff. But it's a regular suburb. Like, I don't live in Manhattan or anything like that. Right, right, right. No, I mean, I have lots of family live in East Coast, Jersey, even New York as well. So I'm familiar with the area, too. I haven't been in a long time. I think last time I went was, like, nine years ago. I'm not even lying to you. Like, I haven't been, I haven't, I haven't flown out to wow. the East Coast, like, in a long time. So definitely got to make a trip up there. As far as your transition from Royal America Rye, uh, do you think that that's obviously going to prepare you for USC in the fall? Oh, sir. Yeah, I think um, it's definitely going to help me out. I think obviously I was at a small team before. I really made a lot of great friends, had some really awesome memories, cool experiences and things like that. But I think that, first of all, joining a new team for this summer is definitely going to help me because when I get to USC, it's not going to be the first time I have to join, join a new team. So it'll be the second time I've done that. I'll already have been used to it. So I think in that sense, it'll be a little bit more seamless and a little bit easier for me to kind of get acquainted. Rye has a super big, uh, big group of girls. So does USC, which is something I wasn't used to, you know, for all four years. So I think in that sense, it'll be a lot easier. And then I've also gotten used to having like double practices, which I'll have in college for all four years. So I think that it was a super smart move for me this summer. So I think it will definitely aid me when I get to college. I had a coxswain of mine uh, who was on my team and she spent a summer at Penn AC and mm-hmm. She went there it was like she was like this is a whole different atmosphere environment than yeah. i'm here and i mean we didn't really have like when you say that you were a coxswain in my club like it, you weren't really like a true coxswain because there really wasn't much votes for you to fill in 
and just and like it's like to actually be a coxswain so it's more of like motivation meets like secondary to the assistant coach like there is more to like more to it than like we we, we when, when you got to practice like there was a 95 percent chance that you were not going to be in the seat like you mm -hmm. were probably would be on the launch or you were going to be like orchestrating the ergs or whatever or whatnot like you most likely would, would be on on the launch and there was a small chance that you'd be on the water so it was honestly like a gift to be on the water and people always ask me like why don't you just change clubs like why didn't you do that well the nearest club that we had was from my from our school the majority of us went to the same high school the majority of us we lived like literally 40 minutes or whatnot in traffic to our boathouse and the next boathouse would be like an hour and 15 minutes away Plus, you got the other side of the, uh, you know, the the coast, which is L.A. and Los Angeles County, and then there's Marin Del Rey, which traffic in L.A. is horrid. So even after school, after that would just be terrible. But yeah, and there really wasn't any other options that we had. Um, so we had to just do what we could. And you know, I was trying to go to camps and stuff like that to really branch out my experience and my knowledge, but everything was shut down. So I had to just kind of. I even pulled up YouTube recordings and it was just coxing Olympic eights and just trying to figure out what I could do to kind of stay in the sport. How, uh, when you guys were experiencing that over in New York, what was it like for you guys? Like, how did you, you know, adjust to the whole transition of that? Yeah. So I think um, spring 2020, when COVID, you know, really got big, we were online, we were doing Zoom practices, and then we got back out in the summer and mostly small boots. We were in the four every now and then. And then I also did which the junior national team virtual coxswain series, which ran like two or three weeks. Um, did we do so, that together? I guess so, probably. Yeah, it was. I mean, I think it was the Yale coxswain was there. Cammy Edwards was at Penn now. I mean, it was someone else. Sydney Princeton was there. Sydney Edwards, yes. Yeah, Sydney Edwards was there, and even Mrs. Whipple even spoke one day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was. I think I was at the same exact camp as you. That's that's awesome. I just, it was so different. I was like, I wish I would have been able to like meet you and meet all the other cops and have like mm -hmm. definitely face to face. But I guess they were just trying to do what we could do. Everyone, no one really knew what was going to go, what was going to happen the next month or whatever. And then it turned into two years. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but um, that's great, Dana. I mean, I think you have definitely what it takes to be a D1 cops in 100%. I mean, they're definitely far ahead than most um, transitioning from a lot of different places and, you know, the world and clubs and things like that. Like you've definitely had to, you know, adjust to lots of different things and it's mm -hmm. a lot more fluid for you in the fall. So that's good to know. And um, again, like I, I really hope that you continue to do what you do, like never change, never stop. Or if anyone gives you like, like harsh criticism, like just take it, but just be stronger from it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah of I, course. I, I, I can just see that you're really devoted to the, to the craft. And I think that a lot of cognizance get handed to them. And what it seems like for you, it's like you never really had it handed to you on a silver platter. You really had to work for it. And that speaks a lot about who you are and what your coach has taught you. Um, my coach changed my life. I probably said this in every podcast I've ever had, but I'll, I'll keep saying it. Like that man, I don't think I've ever like had a coach like him. I don't think I'll ever have one. I went through a lot of coaching switches, but my most recent coaches at Pelham before I switched to America Rye, um, I was super close with them. They're like my second set of parents. So I kind of relate to you in that way. We are... We're super close. They, they've taught me a lot and they really focused on, you know, teaching us how to be good rowers and good coxswains, good athletes, but teaching us how to be good people. And you can learn so much from the sport. And their main goal was to make sure that we came out of this sport as better people than we went into it. So that's definitely something that's super special about their relationships with us as athletes. 
how did they teach you to have a good sense of judgment? That's a, that's a hard question, actually. Um, I think that I definitely am good at remaining calm. I don't really get, you know, super frantic in the, in those scenarios, but I asked my, I asked my coach at club nationals. I said to him, do you have any, you know, words of wisdom before I go out? Do, do you know, do you have anything to say? And he said, you know what to do. Just tell them how to win. And so that's it. I had a four, uh, my Cox the four. That was our priority boat over the last year. And you know what? The four is a very difficult, you know, difficult boat category because any team can have a good four kits. You do not have to be Greenwich Crew or Row America Rye or Oakland Strokes or Newport. You don't have to be a big team to be fast. We made an A final. We brought home a medal from Head of the Charles and we had a lot of great athletes, but we had a good four kids and that's all that we needed, you know, to make, to do what we had to do. Did those four kids all have the same mindset that you did? We were all very different in our own ways, but when we united, we definitely accomplished a lot. And we also had a couple different boats. We had a U17 four and a straight four over the last year. And I think having those three fours side by side every day, yes, they were different and, you know, competitive in their own ways, but it, it really brought us together as a team kind of, you know, beating each other up, but then giving each other fist pumps after everything as well. How did you hold them accountable for being in practice and being attentive? Like, did they ever like miss a day because they just wanted to, they had too much homework? No, definitely not. I think um, that wasn't really a thing on our team. You know, as I said before, we wanted to win youth nationals. And, you know, it wasn't when somebody asked you, what did you want to do? You didn't say I wanted to make the grand final because it was already assumed that that was what you had to do. And you had to do everything every single day as if you were going to be in that grand final at the end of the year. So there was no, you know, making excuses, doing all of that kind of little nonsense stuff because that wasn't part of the plan. That's a great way to say it. Some athletes just don't have that same mentality, you know, like they're happy with getting 26 or 24th or in the D final. It's like, I'm sorry, that's just not what I want to do. I want to be the top dog. I want to be able to compete and have that adrenaline rush through me, through my ice and my veins, whatever you want to call it. And just like, just go full. So I'm like, I love, I even said it like in one time, like I was speaking to somebody and they were like, what are some of the things that you love about Cox? I was like, I love builders. I love acceleration. I love going fast. You know, I like, I don't like sitting there and just like kind of, you know, let's go out for like a nice Sunday road. Like, that's just not who I am. Like, I like to be, you know, I like to be loud. I like to, you know, just exert my energy into a different realm. But then it's just, I don't know. It's just, I feel like sometimes like in, in, in a rowing team, like if you guys don't have the same mentality, shit can kind of go the opposite route and way that you, you know, plan to go. Uh, yeah. And so I don't know. I mean, you just kind of lucked out. I don't want to speak bad about anybody, but like my teammates that I had, they were a lot of them were in small boats every day. And, uh, you know, they were very independent when it came to that regard. You know, they would kind of go out there and do their own thing. They didn't need anybody to rely on. Sometimes they really didn't have that headspace and they go into the boat thinking that they were in a single or double. And it's like, no, you're not. You're in a team boat now. Meaning Absolutely. You have to be, you know, listening and you can't just be doing your own thing and dazing off. You know, you have to be, you have to have, you have to be active listeners and to actually take, you know, listening to what I'm saying and then try to incorporate that in the boat. And um, sometimes they'd have disconnects. And I think that my coach would try his best to really establish like, hey, he's your coxswain, like listen to him. And sometimes it would get kind of rowdy and he would kind of have to yell and be like, you got to stop doing that. You got to make sure that you're actually listening. And, you know, just mm -hmm. being at a small boat club, you know, I heard what you had to say. And I think that very similar of what I, what I, what I feel as well. But I just learned how to have a grit and how to just take that uh, willingness to improve each day and to just try to make my athletes have more and more motivation, more and more will to just go out there and just compete and be, have the same mindset as I did. And I didn't, it was hard for me to do that, but I did my best. And I think, uh, 
I learned a lot from being there and did what I could. So, Dana, first of all, I want to go to one of your races in the fall. See really who you are, you know, behind uh, not behind a computer screen, but uh, yeah. But yeah, that's uh. So yeah, I think that'd be awesome. But thank you for hopping on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I I I reached out to you. I want you to be on it. I think that you have a great sense of uh, you know, culture and and really what mm-hmm. you know you want to be. And you, you, you're able to put that into fruition and you're going to be on a great team. And even if you were going to one of the worst teams in the, the universe, I still would want to have you on the podcast because you just have a great mentality and that sets you apart from a lot of other Cogs. so keep doing what you're doing and uh, I'll see you soon. And ladies and gentlemen, we will probably see Dana Shear on another podcast uh, and she not, she won't just be a guest. She'll probably be a co-host. So <laughs> she will probably be a co-host and she will definitely have more, uh you know she'll have a lot more uh of a role on the podcast than she had today so dana thank you so much take care never change keep being the great person that you are and i'll see you soon thank you so much good to talk to you